Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. 
Nathan, the son of Celluloid, or whatever you want to call him, Hamilton. Welcome to <laughs> Sexy Witches. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, everything in between. It is wonderful to be back here. And if you are indeed listening, special shout out to my Pittsburgh crew. And no, the Voice of Violence will indeed be making an appearance this weekend. Yes, excellent. Hi. So, uh, and you just asked me what that what that song was. Yeah, that was hilarious. Uh, I actually. I actually had it in my uh, jukebox. It's a B-side. Um, I don't know if you know who Jonathan King was from 1982. No, I do not. Wow. His biggest hit was Major Tom. Four, three, two, one. Oh, Earth yeah. Us, oh, okay. Floating, they just always him. Floating, weightless. This was the B-side. <laughs> uh, so, nice. And it's called, it's called I'll Slap on Your Face. So, <laughs> so that's why Excellent. I was like, oh, I was really happy to find. I totally forgot about it, and I was playing around with YouTube, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is perfect for the intro. So I am so glad that we're all in together. So we got about 25 minutes before our guest Jeremiah Kip calls in. So first things first, I actually want to lead off with Nathan tonight because he's got some madness updates to do, and he has an <gasps> announcement. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it's it's never too early to start thinking about Halloween, right? That's for sure. Right. I mean, it may be spring. I know this because everything outside my apartment is a sickly yellow. But <laughs> fall is on my mind, and I can't wait. And that means madness. And I am the first official hat in the ring as a judge this year. Nice. Yes, I right will on. be heading up to and awesome. I think I've got the perfect name. Uh, we were, um, the headhunters and I were talking about monsters and mythological creatures and things. And there's one that we got on a long conversation, went down quite the rabbit hole on. And that is the Zhangxi, who are the Chinese hopping vampires that you might know <laughs> from Mr. Vampire and... Uh, encounters of the spooky kind. What was that one really good? Oh, um, Metallic Attraction, Kung Fu Cyborg, which is an amazing title. But during the 80s, <laughs> 90s, they had a huge renaissance. and They've been around forever in the folklore all over Asia. Every you know different dialect has its own way to pronounce it, but I'm going with the original Chinese as Team Zhangxi. Lovely. Nice. I can't wait to see Hopping your vampires. Hopping vampires. Yeah, um, vampires in, in uh, Chinese lore are a little bit different. First of all, they're an evolution of a zombie, and they're usually controlled by a sorcerer, hence the dead corpse. As a matter of fact, Zhangji directly translates to stiff corpse. If I remember right. So, so uh, the hopping vampire is. It, it, we got on a real rabbit hole on that, but we looked at ultimate. Uh, the first time I ever saw one where I really paid attention was uh, Sue Hark's Vampire Killers. There's a bunch in that. Uh, so, uh, so uh, yeah. So thank you, Nathan, for volunteering to be a judge, and I think it's a fantastic team name. And I was really surprised when we were looking at movies. There is a, a movies with hopping vampires as far back as 1936. Yeah, I wow. had no idea was, that the movies about them went back that far. That's that would that that's shocked really me. Cool. 
Yeah, so cool. And if you want to be a judge, if you're listening out there, please PM the Huntress on her Facebook page, Elizabeth Catherine Gray. Uh, being a judge is not like you're not judging people for what they watch. It's more like a mentor or a uh, and you, or, or an encourager, someone who c- can help you curate your viewing pleasures and give you ideas and pointers on where to look for great films. And uh, we'll also be keeping your scores for you. So they are they are very very important people. And please PM the, the Hauntress. We really we need at least three more to play the madness so um so we have one and i am one so that's two we need we usually have about five teams so please call in and or let us know and if you want to call in tonight <laughs> and talk to us or talk to jeremiah quit uh kip sorry yeah. my evil genius is distracting me uh please call in at our <laughs> guest line six four six Seven one six nine one seven two. Once again, that is six four six seven one six nine one seven two. The sexy witches are looking forward to your call. So great, um, Nathan. You also have one other big announcement in your life, and it's a little bit more personal, but it also relates to your old school scare acting. Oh yes, I uh, I'm a Maddie daddy again. I have adopted a new colony of Madagascar hissing cockroaches. Aww. <laughs> Yep. Did you so, name them? Uh, oh, no. they were I, dad. I can I can only name a certain number of them in any colony because, and uh, this is a terrible thing to say about your children, but they all look the same. Except there's always a few who stand out, who have an outstanding physical characteristic or an interesting personality quirk or something. So some of them will end up getting named, but uh, as of now, I'm still kind of because. I had um, quite a uh, disaster with my last one, and so I'm just kind of uh-huh. easing into having a new colony. Okay. Yeah, That's really awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, my old colony, um, I had, at the time it happened, I had roughly probably 125 bugs in the colony. And Wow. Yeah, this is a colony that I'd split off from the show bugs at Netherworld and had grown into my own colony. I left town to go to Savannah, where... Uh, We'll be talking about later and as a filming location, but I came back and the entire colony was dead. Oh my no God. idea! No idea how it happened. We tried to figure it out. Like no one sprayed anything. There was no power outage where it get, got cold or anything. It was can you, wow. Not, can you close the door? not really sure what happened, but so it's taken a while for me to actually. I've always wanted to get, have more Maddies, but it's it's taken me a while. But I find I friend of mine uh, had a colony, and they got a new uh, management company at their apartment complex that was not okay with a big tank full of roaches in her apartment, and so I ended up adopting them from her. Um, you, guys can, you guys can hear me okay, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Perfectly. Okay, good. And they're yes, absolutely had... fucking adorable. <laughs> they're really cute when you put them on steam baths. They get all happy. Yay! Yeah, uh-huh. so, but then again, really? yeah. It, yeah, it, it, I have it, a um, I have a, a mister that uh, you know, that puts warm mist into the uh, into the tank. And I have it going down over yeah, the small okay. covered rock and everything. Madagascar hissing cockroaches enjoying they, a spritz. Yes, they are absolutely, they do. From, messing uh, with my mind. Yeah, they are as far from a. Uh, 
um, a, a, a horrible icky cockroach as a ferret is from a polecat. Okay, they, they, they are like they are their own thing. They're clean. They're they, they are a pet. They are fantastic. I have known about them for a long time. And I, as a matter of fact, when his first colony died, I was one of the first people to find out. We went back and forth trying to figure out what the fuck happened. And we still don't know, right, hmm. to this day, what the fuck happened. So, we still um, have no clue. Yeah, no. So I, 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 something, something got introduced to our environment that caused the devastation. You know, that's the only thing we can figure yeah. out. But, but rest in peace, but also welcome to the new Maddies and new yes. show bugs to scare Yay. people at haunted uh, I, I'm sure you can bring those out of containment. I'm sure that they'll totally be down for that. Well, so, uh, but Bogey might have to return. I, I thought yeah, he I was dead so. and buried, but he might not be as buried quite as deep as we thought. Excellent. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move to Raven because Raven has been super busy watching something that I have been not really paying attention to much, but we should talk about it because it is one of our sexy witches himself, Johnny Depp. And, um, you know, he and Amber Heard are going at it on a trial and yeah. been watching that. So give us a recap of what's going on and all the dirty poo details. <laughs> wow. It's, um, it's a train wreck. It's really, it's really interesting. Um, so I've been watching on YouTube law and crime network streams live, um, <gasps> And uh, so I've been watching pretty much every day, except for two days I was at Universal Studios, and on those days I watched a recap. But um, so far it's only been Johnny Depp's side and cross-examination. Amber Heard's side hasn't said um, anything yet or brought their own witnesses. The only exception is... There are witnesses who have been deposed from videotapes from last year. And the way they're doing that is kind of weird because as a piece of evidence comes up, whoever side it's on, that lawyer will pause the tape and speak or object. So um, it's kind of mixed together on the video depositions. But um, so far we've seen the police officer that, um, came to the penthouse when Amber Heard was um, trying to first ac- make accusations against Johnny Depp and when they arrived he was not there um, and we've seen their marriage counselor we've seen security guards we've seen a psychiatrist hired by Depp's team and this is pretty interesting um, she did a test for PTSD with Amber Heard. And what happened was she kind of overfilled out everything, said she was had all these symptoms and ended up saying, I have 28 out of 30 symptoms. But it was really a histrionic personality disorder test. Um, people oh, wow. with PTSD, even the most severe forms, usually have four or five of those symptoms out of 30. And so the psychiatrist yeah. found this as an example of someone who would often um, blow things very much out of proportion, potentially. Um, she also said she does not have PTSD, 
and that she likely has borderline personality disorder. Now, I have borderline hmm. personality, personality disorder, and I don't think I've ever come close to doing some of the things that Amber Heard allegedly ha- has done. Um, but they, it does kind of seem like they're demonizing um, her mental health a bit. Uh, I haven't really picked a side. You know, I'm, I'm trying to wait to see everything. Um, if we went by who seems to have a more intelligent team, Depp has much better lawyers. And, um, like, Amber Heard's lawyer objected to his own question the other day. Oof. <laughs> it's all Yikes. over TikTok. He, he, he asked a question, and the guy starts to answer, and he goes, objection, hearsay. And the, and the witness says, but you asked me the question. Oy. And everyone started laughing, and they had to, you know, order in the court. <laughs> but they, they've been making some stretches and asking really weird, seemingly irrelevant questions that I, I'm not really getting the connection to. Yeah, so I think we have the rest of this week is still Johnny's side, and then it'll switch to Amber's side, and she'll be calling witnesses. And... We're not sure if she's taking the stand yet. Um, Based on the videos that we've seen from previous trials and interviews and stuff or recordings, she doesn't do well on the stand. And, um, you know, she does seem like she's she's, uh, making stuff up, uh, uh, you know, like I am right now, like she's just searching for words. (laughs) And that doesn't necessarily mean you're lying. It just means you're not good. <laughs> you're not good on the stand. Um, and so I don't think it'll benefit her if she gets up there. But if she's as narcissistic as the psychiatrist has suggested she is, there's no way she won't get on the stand. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that the courtroom energy changes because it's almost kind of laid back now. Depp's team has been really... Um, you know, there's hard stuff, but it seems like they're much more friendly with each other. <laughs> Amber's side is very robotic, and she's just writing notes and notes and notes, just hours and hours of notes. No idea what she's doing over there, but um, sure yeah, that's about it so far. The only thing I can say is that, of course, Johnny Depp is good on the sand, and uh, he is, yeah. And, and, and you know, he's one of the greatest actors of his generation, so I can't honestly use his testimony to know if it's truth or not. Um, so it would have to be based on the actual evidence for me to make an opinion. Right. It and, can't be dependent on that because he's a better actor than she is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's it's true. a great Johnny Depp, you know. <laughs> right. But so, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh now, um, also, when we should really do it quick, though, um, you and I both binged over the weekend Russian Dolls Season 2 with Natasha Leone, yeah. which is like, oh, my God. Um, first of all, I want to say, oh, my God, again, because it was, oh, oh my God. Oh. That, sh- that show <laughs> is one of the wildest shows on television, and I think people miss how awesome it is. Um, did you, I, I thought yeah. it was really good up to the ending. I didn't think it quite stuck the landing, though I understand what they were going for, uh, but I loved this, this season, and I want another season. What about you? 
I do too. Yeah, I I agree with you that um, it wasn't as much as a like a button to the end of everything, um, nor was it a cliffhanger. It wasn't. It was somewhere in between, and uh, but every other episode was so solid. It's kind of hard to keep that momentum. It's. I, I think it's. They did a fine job and. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I wasn't even you. sure how they were going to do a sequel, even though they know they said they had up to five seasons in mind. And even though they said a lot mm. of the second season's ideas went out the window after air of first one, um, but uh, the first season is a time loop story. Um, this one is a time travel story, um, and yeah. also, but it also has to do. There's uh, it, visuals of mental illness. There's uh, stories about Nazis. I mean, it it was there was so much wow. going on. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, Chloe Savoy plays her mom, and she was in the first season very briefly, but this time she's prevalent yeah. and she's fantastic. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it's and and it also circles back to the time loops from the first season. Like the writing on this show is incredible. It's crazy. <laughs> the writing is crazy. Good. The nice. um, scoring and the music that they pick is, I mean, I couldn't choose if I had to pick which season I like better. I really couldn't. That's how good uh, season two is. The, the one thing I will say is that with the, the time travel, a lot of it takes place in 1982. So, of course, like one of the best years for movies and music ever. So the music <laughs> is incredible during those sequences. Yes. And, uh, you know, and also they, they lots of my favorite um Pink Floyd records comes up. Wish you were here um, yeah. in the in the score. So that was a win. Uh, so uh, yeah, I highly highly re- any show that opens with Bella Gosi is dead is worth your time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so uh, so uh, so yay. On, uh, yeah. So and once again, I have a massive girl crush on Natasha Leon. I I once I said I said if. Uh, Christian Slater decided to have a sex change. Uh, I think Latasha and Leon and Christian Slater are the same person. I have I have never seen them in the same room together. So yeah, <laughs> but they, they they're but it, that's not negative because I had a crush on him too. Uh, but it, it, it the, the, the her her delivery is so like like you know like impersonating Jack Nicholson and vibing Chris Chris you know Christian Slater kind of delivery all through it, it is so. So good. Anyway, I, I, yay. Um, so we'll come, come back. I want to put her on the bucket list for an interview, but I doubt she's too, she's probably too famous now. <laughs> so, um, so real quick, uh, we, uh, Aaron, we never give you enough time to talk about your conventioneering and you only have about seven minutes, but uh, you want to talk about your wonder conning? Sure. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about it before. um, I mentioned that uh, I'd seen the virtual panel panel for Cursed Films, and uh, that was pretty good. They said they were going away from the direction of the first season, where it got maybe a little wackier than they wanted with uh, Satanists (laughs) going on a bit, and they wanted to bring it back a little more and uh natalie and i actually binged all of uh what they have so far of season two of cursed films and uh yeah it, it did definitely get a little sharper uh a little more on track okay. uh there was one episode that kind of went off and kind of didn't become about 
the film and potential uh, evil omens and things around the uh, the film itself. Uh, but then the last one, they kind of stuck the landing and was enjoyable. And I, I would recommend it. Uh, the big news out of WonderCon, of course, was uh, Kevin Smith's reaction to being asked about Bruce Willis. Uh, one of the more famous Hollywood feuds is uh, Kevin Smith and Bruce Willis over the film Cop Out. And uh, Kevin's kind of blaming himself a little bit, uh, saying, good God, you know, did was he suffering back then? And I just was too in my own world and didn't recognize it. And I don't think that's the case. But uh, on the good side of things, he and Bruce are going to have a sit down. And um, oh. that I, I hope they make up together because uh, yes. Bruce Willis was really Kevin Smith's hero. He's from fucking Jersey and you know he ticked all the fucking boxes and you know Kevin's uh, brusque at times so that that might have been part of it and uh, apparently he just wasn't communicating well with Mr. Willis back in the day but I, I hope it all gets patched up uh, for myself my my two biggest highlights were getting to see uh, Lumpia with a Vengeance again uh, and we can talk more about that sometime. Oh, but God, I love that film so much, that. and I love the reaction. Ah, oh, I, I I can't wait for you guys to see this with an uh, audience are, on the circuit. Are, are we interviewing him? Is he coming on the show? I wanted to nail down the date with you before okay. I asked him, but yeah, he Let's, said I'm all in, so we'll just nail a, a date okay. and do it. I, 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 I think, think I gave I you a date, you. but let's verify that um, after air. We'll talk. Real Excellent. Quick. Okay, cool. Excellent. And um, the other thing, um, am I done? Oh, no, no. You got a couple minutes. Yeah, uh, more minutes. Just two things really quick. Um, I, <laughs> I met a creator, a lovely young gentleman of color who did a horror comic uh, that was kind of a weird updating uh, Halloween with time travel elements and things. And I'm really excited to bust into that and see what that's all about. And uh, the other thing, I met the dude who back in the day uh, ran basically publicity for Lucasfilm and Star Wars. I mean, from the get-go when he was 23 years old and he had the most amazing stories. And he was the guy when little kids like myself would write in and ask for an autographed photo of Darth Vader he was Darth Vader. He used to sign the photos, and he just had the best oh. stories. And, yeah, it was a great time. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, I also watched Cursed Films. I'm, I'm caught up. Of course, tomorrow's the next episode. Um, I, the Wizard of Oz one they opened with, most of that stuff I already knew about. But the one thing I mm-hmm. did stand out is I did not know that there were still photos of of Margaret Hamilton catching on fire. And that yeah. was, those were those were neat. I mean in a horrible way, but they were still neat. I'd never seen mm-hmm. it before because you know, it wasn't that she caught fire, her broom caught fire. And so it caught right afterwards. You know, it makes sense that they had a camera right there cuz you know, they have a drop down uh, you know, drop away uh, floor yep. and they, you know, they want to make sure that everything's safe. So, um, you know, I always find it interesting. The one thing they didn't say about that moment is that that was actually take two. Take one went off without a hitch. Right. So take two is the one. They with, said, well, with let's make double. Those two. 
do one with backup, and the one with the backup is the one where she caught fire. Uh, you know, pretty terrible. Uh, I didn't so, realize and, that uh, because of the uh, makeup that she had on, the copper base, they had to get that out of her right away. So they I, used I, I did steel wool while she. Oh. Yeah, horrifying. No, it was actually on. It actually was fusing to her skin, so they had to take it off. Oh, and it, and it took her skin crazy. with it. Um, yeah, I actually did know that. My mom is a bit, She was really into Wizard of Oz, and she told me all about that story. She told me all about the allergies that the Tin Man had. I mean, she yeah. she she made sure I knew everything. Um, she the only thing she said was bullshit was the munchkins weren't as bad as people said they were. However, they were German and they did drink heavily. And if you've ever seen <laughs> Terror in Tiny Town, that can be verified. <laughs> so, uh, uh, which, by the way, if people don't know what Terror in Tiny Town is, it is a black and white move, uh, musical western uh, featuring the munchkins from Wizard of Oz. Um, and it's a, and there's a famous duck scene that is like something that I have like like the duck. It's a duck. It's one of the greatest moments with a duck of all time. So you know it's <laughs> so, uh, so, so tiny. So, tiny town is the drunken version of Munchkinland. Uh, tiny town is mm. the western drunken version. But it, no, it's actually it, it, it's a, but it's a straight up western. You've got a sheriff and a land dispute and a bad guy and cow wrestling and the cows are as big as the actors and you know and there's a there's a romantic lead there's a there's a floozy singer in the saloon. I mean, it is a western. <laughs> Here's the Munchkin floozies. Yeah, I mean, well, she's really hot too. Um, so you know, yeah. So, uh, um, and um, stalker, I, you know, I, I consider myself an Andrew Andrea uh, Tartakovsky like fan, and I do have yeah. members of my parents watching it. I have never watched that movie as an adult, and since I've always been kind of fascinated with the amusement park in Chernobyl, now I'm like so all in on that mm-hmm. movie. I need to watch it like right? yesterday. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, you know, cool. I'm that gonna... was a great episode too. Yeah, it was. A, it really, and it, but it's not really film, about but... a cursed movie. That one's more about a prophetic no. movie, like it's prophecy. So, and, and they gave a shout out because a lot of it was shot in Crew Crane, and they gave a shout out to that too. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. So, Cursed Films is good, and of course, Joe Bob is about to premiere again very, very soon on Shutter. Friday. So, day after Friday, tomorrow. It's this day. Okay, right. so who is this? I thought it was next week. Okay, so it's this. Nope, week, this actually. Friday. This Friday. And on so. this, and on this Friday's episode, it's a big celebration because they will be showing the hundredth movie he has shown on Shutter since he started hosting them again. Oh, that's amazing. Shutter is all over the map and 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 rocking it as usual, and that is a perfect yeah. lead-in because our guest is calling in, calling in. I actually am not sure where they're located right now, but they are a filmmaker on the independent level. But they've had a nice little run with Slapface, and they recently came off a film shoot in Savannah. Please welcome to the show. Director extraordinaire, Mr. Jeremiah Kipp. Welcome. You're on with the Sexy Witches. Hello. Excellent. Hello. So uh, uh, now that the, you uh, can concentrate on more promo and not as much on the on the um, 
well, I don't, the shooting part of aspects of your new film, I thought I'd give you a call and say, hey, why don't you call in? So thank you for calling in, because I know you've been hitting the podcasting um, world pretty hard recently. Yeah, but it's been a real joy talking about the film. It feels like the interview process is like the, the way to have it come full circle. It, well, it is. You know, the, the press junket, it's so changed. But, you know, at the same time, I actually find podcasting is one of my favorite things. So, you know, not just because I do it. I just like how listening to people talk about not just movies, but their personal lives or their favorite things. We often talk to people about their favorite things. Don't think that witches aren't going to come up in this conversation. So be prepared for that later, not just because you're a movie. <laughs> so, uh, so please, why don't you introduce yourself to my audience? I mean, some of them actually do know you, at least through Facebook. You've been a Facebook friend of mine for a very, very long time, actually. Um, and a um, little bit about Slapface, and, um, and I have a pleasure to tell you that the entire panel did watch your movie, so we oh, all great. have questions. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, my name is Joe Bankett. I'm an independent filmmaker based in New York. I'm originally from Rhode Island, which is the home state of H.P. Lovecraft, uh, the great uh, supernatural writer. Um, I was one of those kids who was always running around in the woods with my friends, uh, making zombie movies in the backyard and, uh, you know, Godzilla movies in the bathtub and so on. Uh, And uh, in the early 90s, I moved to New York to go to film school at New York University, Tisch School of the Arts. Um, And once I got out, I started working in the motion picture business and never looked back. Uh, So Slapface is uh, my sixth feature film. Uh, My first feature was back in... uh, 2010 is when we shot it. It was a Killer in the Woods movie starring Tom Savini, uh, who is who was a makeup artist for a long time. He, he did the makeup for many of George Romero's movies and the Friday oh, yeah. the 13th films. And uh, we are uh, he, all well acquainted with Mr. Savini here. Uh, sex oh, fantastic! Hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was. Well, I'm happy to report that Tom was really enjoyable to work with. Like it was my first time working with somebody who, you know, when I was a little kid, I was watching films with him in it, you know, he was in Dawn of the Dead uh, and from Mm -hmm. Dust Till Dawn. And uh, so, you know, I was a little intimidated because his reputation precedes him. You know, he's known for being a little uh, prickly and edgy uh, at conventions, (laughs) but uh, I don't know. My experience with him was extremely positive. Um, he trusted us. He gave himself over to the production. I think I think that if he feels like you know what you're doing, then he'll do anything he can to support you. He was doing his own stunts. He was really present and there for the movie. I'd love to work with Tom again if we ever get the opportunity. We just haven't had the chance. We've tried a couple times. But um, hopefully someday our paths will connect again. Uh, but yeah, since then, you know, I've directed a bunch of uh, horror features and uh, the latest one is Slapface, which uh, is on AMC Plus and Amazon Prime and Shudder, which is our main home. It's a Shudder original. Uh, I couldn't be more excited about the about being programmed there because you guys. I heard you guys talking just before I came on about the stuff that's on Shudder and um, like the film right before us was called The Last Thing Mary Saw, which was like a 
19th century, are they witches or not movie. And then right after us was Hellbender by the Adams Family, and I encourage everyone to see that movie. The Adams Family cool. inspire me deeply. They're they're like the Von Trapp family filmmakers, you know. It's like uh, 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 like the the John Adams and Toby Poser and their children. Like it feels like they just go out and make these things like independently uh, by themselves, with nobody hovering over them, telling them what to do. And the results are so personal and so fascinating. Uh, and I, you know, I, I mean, I've, I started a correspondence with them, like, because Flatface came out right before their movie, and we were decided to rally and support one another because we really like each other and like each other's films. Uh, and, you know, they just remind me that the people in the horror world are, like, you know, everybody thinks that they're so weird, which I think we are. We're eccentric. But they are the nicest, kindest, like, most generous people. And their films are so so psychotic and weird, but, like, I think they work out their family issues. Like, I think their therapy sessions for their family are, like, in their movies. And, like, consequently, they have, like, a healthy, great family dynamic. So if you haven't seen Hellbender, listeners, like, go check that out. It's incredible. And, and they make mm. movies basically with the change at the bottom of their purses. I mean, like, they're, they have huh. zero budgets, but they look amazing. They, they, the sound they is look great. amazing. I, I, I am one of my biggest bits about independent films and, and professional wrestling, Nathan, is the mm-hmm. sound. It's, you know, yeah. they, they could have a really amazing uh, cinematographer and then forget completely about sound mix. Uh, now, granted, I've been around sound for most of my life, so I obviously concentrate on it. But I believe sound can make a break a film. Man, they're out in the woods. There's running water. There's in 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 that movie. There's also drums, which are you know drum sound is very important. And it just everything about that movie is great. And your movie is great too, by the way. We all loved your movie. Um, Thank you. So let's get it get it back to you. And and uh, I mean seriously, it's it's a it's a it's not a happy go lucky movie in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's rather sad, but in a, it, you know, it's about there's there's obviously uh, statements of homes of grief, but um, it seems like your central theme. And I've heard uh, I've read other things that you've done, and and that uh, bullying is really what this story is about. So where did you get that idea from? From your own personal experience, or from uh, just from uh, you know to- uh, being topical? Because uh, it and uh, you know, and then how did you connect it with uh, the loss of loved ones? Well, I think it all came from uh, growing up in the woods in Rhode Island, and I, I grew up with my grandparents, and my grandfather was an abused kid. Like his uh, his dad would play flat face with him. Uh, so the, the older brother in the film's name is Tom, named after my granddad to personalize it for him. Uh, and a lot of the stories in the film are from him. Now, he didn't encounter a seven-foot-tall monster, but he did, you know, he was chased around in the woods by, like, these three girls that were his age who would throw rocks at him. And, like, one of them would always circle back around to him afterwards when they were alone and say, you are my secret boyfriend don't tell anyone or we're going to hurt you more. Uh, kiss me, you know, like that sort of thing, uh, which is crazy. Um, I, I think all that stuff kind of found its way into the movie 
because I'd been rereading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which is my favorite novel. And there's such a, a theme of loneliness in that book. And the monster is abandoned and is like wandering around, like looking for friends and like kind of spends a long time living outside of this farmhouse, imagining the lives of the family inside. And I thought, well, what if that family were my family? You know, what if we incorporated stuff from uh, from the stories my grandfather had told me and some of the isolation and loneliness that I felt in the woods? Because when I was little, you know, it was, I mean, I grew up very remote and like actually horror films were a great source of comfort for me. Um, and I didn't draw a distinction between Grimm's fairy tales that my grandmother would read to me and films like Dawn of the Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which felt like fairy tales to me. Like, I wasn't afraid of them. I was fascinated by them. I, you know, the gingerbread witch was no different than Leatherface, you know, where it's like the Hansel and Gretel wander into the gingerbread house and all the characters in Texas Chainsaw wander into this you know, essentially meat house, you know? Uh, and I was like, well, what if, what if the, the monster in our movie is that, you know, it's like, it, it's all that stuff that fascinated me as a child, but let's take the Grimm's fairy tale, witch and make her as three dimensional and real as the stories that my grandfather had told me, let's make her a full character with wants and desires and needs and anticipations and a desire to be loved. And all of these characters who are hurting each other in Slapface, it's all stemming from a desire to do a good job or to be a good parent or to be a loving person or to be accepted by one's friends. You know, they're not, they're not all like twirling their mustaches and saying, let me hurt somebody today. When Tom is slapping Lucas, the older brother slapping the younger brother, it's a game to them where it's like, I will slap you and you will slap me just as hard. And that way we will connect and we will share this experience of punishment. Like I'm going to, you, you will hurt me as badly as I'm going to hurt you, which is very sadistic and very masochistic and extremely messed up. But like the older brother thinks of it as parenting. He probably learned it from his dad. Uh, and the witch like is this source of comfort for the little boy. It's kind of like the Fox and the Hound in that Disney movie where they want to be friends, but like, the monster is kind of learning human behavior the same way that the human characters are, you know, they're kind of like replicating things that their parents taught them. And the monster is replicating things that she's seeing, which results in enormous violence. Whenever she feels like the little boy that she loves is being threatened, she attacks, you know, and she thinks of it as defense. Uh, so those are some of the things that I was thinking about when I was writing Slapface. It was really, personal story where I was drawing on horror themes that had fascinated me my entire life. And I thought like, if you take domestic violence or child abuse and put it in right next to a seven foot tall, witch monster, you know, what's worse, <laughs> you know, like uh, what is, you know, what is the real horror here and what is the subject of fascination? One of the things that I like that you were also, um, whether you were intentionally doing it or not, um, I recently went through a really nasty divorce that really messed mm. with my head. 
Um, you know, because that's a level of grief and despair on its own right. And so I, you know, suddenly with me grieving and being all stressed and stuff, I have to suddenly become a single mother to a 12-year-old daughter, Um, you know. And the problem with that was, is like, I'm not mentally stable. I'm grieving. How am I supposed to help this younger, more vulnerable person who's going through the same things I am? You know, right. like how how do I how do I help them when I can't help myself? And so I, I felt that that like the older brother, it, maybe slap face was the only way he knew how to translate it. But you know, he's trying desperately to keep this family together, but he hasn't to he hasn't been able to deal with his own psychosis uh, and his own grief that is you know equally as important as his younger brothers because he's you know any you know you one of the biggest worries i have is am i transferring my own anxieties over to my kid you know so i i picked Absolutely. up on that quite a lot um in the movie so uh so bravo to that <laughs> so uh yeah um, thank you for picking up on that that was certainly very important to the story is that the, the brothers have undergone trauma and they're experiencing great grief and like another element of slap face for them is to like, if we can just wake ourselves up, if we can just look each other in the eyes and like, maybe if we hit each other, it will be enough of a shock to bring us back into reality. But you know, it's hard because neither of them really want to talk about what happened. You know, when the older brother does want to talk about it, you know, he's, he has the moment where he's like, let's talk about it. I remember that night. I can't forget it. And the younger brother is the one who's like, I don't want to talk about it. We promise never to talk about it and shuts him down. You know, because we all experience grief and trauma, you know, I mean, those are like hard things to deal with. You know, it's like you can't put a ribbon and a bow on that stuff and say it's fixed, you know. It's like that's the stuff that, you know, it's these these brothers just don't have the equipment to deal with it. They're both, you know, the older brother is not much more than a child himself. You know, he's not much more than a teenager himself. And yet he's expected to be this parent you know, so I have enormous sympathy for Tom and uh, the editor of the film, Katie Dillon, was like, you know, I'm going to pin this whole film on Tom's back because he's the driving force of the narrative, even though it's the kid who manifests the monster. Um, it's the older brother who's trying to understand and who is trying to figure it out. And it's like essentially the detective in the story that is trying to discover what's happening to his younger brother because he loves him. You know, all of the all of the brutalities of the film are all stemming from a desire to do the best job you can in loving another person. Uh, does the rest, any of my panel have questions for our wonderful director here? I've got one. Okay. Um, we're seeing a whole lot of movies come out right now that, uh, you know, we're being made during, you know, the pandemic and all that are, have, in the middle of nowhere locations and very small casts. Yeah. Did it, did any of that like being made during the pandemic era play into any of your choices when making this movie? Well, it was shot right before the pandemic. So I th- I think it had to do with the realities of low budget filmmaking, which is when I wrote, <laughs> when I wrote the thing, I knew, I knew it was going to be, you know, I, I was like, if it's if it's mainly this farmhouse and these woods and a couple of characters, then, you know, whether the budget is $300,000 or $500,000 or $750,000 or a million dollars, whatever it is, you know, it's like, it'll, it'll, like, we can 
spend the resources on making the monster and on getting the best cast that we possibly can. Um, so, you know, I mean, like I was, the, the impetus was more like, let's do something that is epic in emotion, but like scaled down and domestic. Now the pandemic, like New York was shut down literally the day after we did our final pickup shots. We shot the movie and then we owed a couple of shots of like just inserts and things like that, that we grabbed, like, you know, and, and all of the, you know, like Italy had been shut down and like the United Kingdom was being affected by the pandemic. So we knew it was coming. Um, and it was like, or, well, we better get these shots in before we're, you know, before we're stuck in our apartments. Um, and like we finished those shots, drove back to New York. And then that Monday, like New York was shut down. Um, and basically the only places that were open were the supermarkets, you know, with uh, essential workers and stuff like that. And it was such a crazy time. Um, the thing I'm grateful for was that we did post-production during the pandemic. So if you're trapped in your small New York apartment, you know, that's rough. But the thing that helps or helped me and helped a lot of the people who were working on post-production on Flatface was that we had something to do. You know, we had something creative that we could work on during this extremely strange time in our lives. Um, and, uh, and you know, like, when, if, you know, when the editor, Katie Dillon, has, has been asked, like, what, what changed for you during the pandemic? She was like, nothing really. You know, I, I kind of edit in my apartment. I edit at home. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I do my work in my office, you know, so it was no different than business as usual. But, you know, it'll, it'll, whenever we had to do work with the post team that was in person, it was with social distancing and masks and all that kind of stuff. So it was like a very peculiar time. But I think that the, the loneliness that we were feeling during post-production certainly informed the movie. It, it gave the film a very – it only added to the feeling of – loneliness in the movie and isolation in the movie and sadness, you know, and like, a, and a desire to be loved and touched, you know, like uh, all that stuff certainly informed our decisions when we were editing the film. And wow. a similar thing happened to myself and Aaron. Uh, we shot a film in LA uh, right before um, COVID. Um, as I was getting on the plane to go back to my house in Maryland, the first official uh, case was in Northern California. So we got oh, our wow. film in just in time as well. And then um, our, our director uh, went out, had a few minutes and grabbed what he could with his wife. His wife's Australian, went to Australia, and then they got stuck there. Oh, uh, my so, gosh. So post-production was all done in Australia. So, oh my gosh. I, you know. Yeah, so I, I, I hear you about the editing uh, during the time of the pandemic. So uh, very, very similar, I, you know, And but boy, were you lucky. And so were we that we got everything in the can beforehand. Yeah. So, um, so uh, anybody else has a question for our, on the panel? I do. Oh, Look out, world. Hey, I'm Raven. That'll learn you. <laughs> I've got a question. So my my least and most favorite kind of horror movies are both horror movies with children. And mm. it's because, you know, I really, 
this idealized 1980s kid smoking and riding bicycles. Like, I love those guys. Uh, and they save the day. But then it doesn't really matter what they're doing if the kid can't act. And it can take the whole thing down. And this kid that you got August, he was in, um, oh, gosh, the uh, the Disney Channel show Girl Meets World. Girl Meets and World, yeah. He was a scene stealer, comedic kid in that, and he is just a drama king, like in the best sense of the word in this. He is he's mm-hmm. a powerhouse, and um, his yeah. range is so impressive. Having seen a couple of the other things he's done, I think you've got his strongest performance out of him that I've seen. Um, how How did the casting process go for that role and – you know, the rule, don't work with animals or kids. Uh, did that scare you at all? Well, I was a child actor myself a long time ago, so I've worked with kids a lot over the years as a director. I love working with children. I think they're so imaginative and so emotionally available. And, you know, you have to audition them, and you have to meet their parents and see, yeah. like, what they're like. But, like, I found children to be the best actors. Like, children are as great as Daniel Day-Lewis at playing make-believe. Um you know, if you cast them right, you know, if you cast the wrong kid, it's going to be a bad experience. If you cast a kid who doesn't want to be there, it's going to be a bad experience. But most, you know, if you go through the process of auditioning them and, like, looking at their work and, like, meeting their folks, then, you know, it's you, you can meet some extraordinary people. And I think the key to working with child actors is to treat them like actors and to treat them like people and not talk down to them. But, treat, yeah. but make them your partner and make them your collaborator and make them your ally. Now, August was a bit of a special case because um, uh, he was you know, the casting director, uh, Carolyn Sinclair, and producer Mike Manning and I, we all made our lists of all the actors that we like for all these parts. And uh, August Machero was like the top of our list for Lucas. Like all, all three of us were like, oh, my God, all three of us wanted him. Uh, and it's because he's a very peculiar, interesting actor. You know, he's pretty eccentric. He's extremely emotionally available. Uh, I think the investors were happy because he was in The Nun, that um, Blumhouse movie that made gazillions of dollars. But I was more interested yeah. in him based on his other work. You know, it's like he he's just a real, like seeing him in Girl Meets World and some of the independent films that he's done. It's like this this guy has enormous range and yeah. is enormously empathetic, and he can do a lot of things. I mean, we auditioned a bunch of other kids. We didn't audition August. We made an offer to him, but we had to be prepared mm-hmm. if he said no. So we auditioned a bunch of kids, and a lot of kids could access some of the things, but not all of the things. It's hard to access rage and grief and trauma, you know, yeah. and, uh, and all this other. Yeah. Yeah, he has to he has to do a lot, and you know I, I knew that August could do all of it. Now what I didn't know was if August was going to be a jerk, or if his mom was going to be a domineering stage mother. You know we just had to yeah. roll the dice and take a chance. Uh, but August read the script, and I think he talked to his management too and said that he really wanted to do it. He cared about the script. He cared about the role. He was interested. He wanted to take on this challenge. Uh, so he, you know, so he said yes, and then you know we started rehearsing, and uh, it became pretty clear that he was going to be 
uh, a real partner in this. You know, he he really thought right. it through. He really cared a lot. And, you know, I think that, I mean, I treated, I, I also felt like he was 12. He was 12 at the time, but he was 12 going on 40. And it kind of reminded yeah. me of myself when I was his age. I mean, I felt like I connected with him on that level. I'm in my 40s now. So I felt like I'd finally yeah. grown into myself. Uh, right. But um, August, you know, it's like it became pr- pretty obvious pretty quickly that we were going to be good dance partners. And that, you know, like during the course of the shoot, we became friends because I think that he knew that I really wanted him to do the movie. And he was very present for all of it. He was not afraid of the content. You know, when we did the stunt work, like, you know, with all the slapping scenes, we had a great stunt coordinator named Matt Kerr. So the actors felt extremely safe during all of these roughhousing scenes, you know, where the characters committing acts of violence to each other. And that's very important to me because if you want the actor to access the feelings that are dark and deep and sad, you know, the best way to get them to be able to do that is for them to feel relaxed and safe. You know, if they they felt safe and secure during all the stunts, whether it was with the bullies or with uh, the older brother, then August was able to do all the work that we needed him to do. Um, He's a great friend, you know, like, I I mean, we just really got along and um, he gave himself over to the movie completely. He loves making movies. Like he showed up before the coffee every morning, like ready to play. Um, And the only thing that was hard for August and Mira who played uh, Mariah they, they could access all the complex feelings. They could do the very dark, disturbing scenes. They could handle the violent stuff. They could handle all of it. The only thing that was challenging for August and Mira was they did not want to kiss each other. They're like 12 years old. And the characters, they have to kiss each other a couple times in the movie, you know, and, and they're 12. And it's like a time in their lives where it's like they were friends, but they were like, you know, like they had a lot of demands, you know. They were like, all right. We'll do this scene, but our parents cannot be there. As few people as possible, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And then, all right, it's like, yes, absolutely, we'll do all of those things because I want you to feel safe when you do this. So we do all that, and they're still nervous as hell. Uh, So I go to the director of photography, Dominic Civilli, who's my friend. I mean, we've shot many films together. We've worked together for over 12 years. I was like, Dom... You and I are going to walk in front of the camera. We're going to hit the marks, and we're going to kiss each other in front of August and Mira. And Dom's Aww. like, I've been waiting my whole life for you to say that. Uh, <laughs> so we go over, we hit the marks, we kiss each other. We look at August and Mira and say, and, you know, say, all right, that's what you guys need to do. And August and Mira laughed, and then they understood. They were like, oh, yeah, we're acting. It's okay to kiss your friend, you know. Yeah. And then they, you know, they, and they did it, you know. Like, once they knew that it was safe and that, like, you know, nobody was going to laugh at them and, like, you know, if Dom and I could do it, then they could do it. And they did it, you know, they did their two takes and, you know, and they had to do it again, like, a week and a half later. But, like, you know, that was fine. Like, once we once we all figured out together, you know, what would make them feel comfortable, then, you know, then it was great. Everything else was kind of a breeze in comparison to that. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Wow. It looks really good. And the kids, all of the kids were really amazing actors. Um really I was really impressed with that. Like I really love the whole movie and I was also bullied as a kid and I can mm. tell when someone's never been bullied and they write about being bullying. <laughs> um <laughs> it's like, okay, these guys know what's up. <laughs> someone's been bullied because Bullies are not very creative. You know, they only have so many 
<laughs> of course, is an attack, and I'm like, yes, all of these things have happened to me. This is dead on. It was great. That's well said, yeah. So, uh, Aaron, you haven't had a question yet, so if you want to have one, go yeah, for it. Yeah, um, my wife and I really loved your film. Um, Thank you. We both found it disturbing as well. Um, in fact, uh, we were talking about the disturbing elements, and I, I think I was the one to mention Midsommar, and, you know, mm. a film that, you know, kind of digs into your brain <laughs> uh, in good yeah. ways, but, you know, uh, still, you know, you, you, oh, so much there. Uh, the thing I wanted to ask about is specifically about the monster, and I got the impression that the monster was almost like a, a creature from the id, the way it reacted when he was slapped and, and the monster moved its face as if the monster was being slapped. And then my wife said, no, there was no monster at all. It was all the kid all the time. So, I, I mean, we're, we're going to have some fun conversations about that, kicking that around. But I just wanted to know when you were writing it and when you were directing it, what was the monster to you? Yeah, I mean, like, so whether the monster is real or not, the monster is certainly a manifestation of the character Lucas's innermost fears. Uh, now, I've never elected to answer the question of is the monster real or not, because I think that's almost, you know, it's like, you know, one of the things I really loved in Candyman 1992, for instance, was like for a long time when you're watching the movie, you're like, is Candyman real? Or is Helen yeah. cracking up? You know, and it rode that line for a super long time. And even yeah. at the end, like with the big bonfire scene, it, like Bernard Rose, the great uh, director, like still leaves it kind of open. It's like, is, you know, like what happened there at that bonfire? You know, like, I mean, I think the movie doesn't answer the question, is Candyman real or not? You know, and I almost, you know, I know Bernard Rose has said that he almost wish, wishes that he didn't have to. Uh so with Slapface, I certainly knew – I had an answer in my mind when I wrote it. You know, I knew what I felt was true and mm -hmm. not true. And uh, and I wrote to that. But I also said as long as, as long as there's enough ambiguity around it, you know, that there can be that question of, like, what is, is Lucas – is Lucas a little kid – that is capable of great violence, you know, and, and commits it, or is the monster real? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love talking to audiences and I love hearing when people are on team monster or on team Lucas, yeah. you know, I find it really interesting. Like it's like one of the things that I wanted to do with the movie was like create that, that thing. And I, but at the end of the day and at the end of the film, the tragedy that unfolds, you know, whether the monster was there or not, there's a sense of inevitability that, oh, yeah. you know, like the, the Greek tragedy that happens at the end, like, you know, whether the monster was there or not, like that is where it's heading. Now, if it's comforting to imagine the monster is there, then I fully embrace that. And if it's that, you know, like the, the kid's wild imagination is manifested before the viewer, then I can accept that too. I think that people can, you know, I have my own conclusion, but uh, I'm very I, I like I like the idea of the audience being able to draw their own. 
And maybe I can answer all those questions in Slapface too someday. We'll see. <laughs> yes, please, and thank you. No, that's an exceptional answer. That's that's absolutely what I was looking for. Thank you. And, well, and um, you know, Slapface though is just um, you know you've had good success with that, and we're all so elated that it's doing so well. But you've also just wrapped on a new film in Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, it's it was interesting because I'm a I'm a New Englander, you know. So when uh, these great producers uh, sent me the script for a movie called The Boo Hag, uh, which is set in you know Savannah, Georgia, and hardwired into uh, black Southern folklore, I was like, Are you sure you want me to read this? You know, it's like, Are you are you sure that like you know? And they were like, We want you know the thing that you did with you know we we want the right guy and we think that Slapface is you know, we, we, we love your movie and we think that you should read it and like I think that you'll find ways to connect with it. And I read the script all in one sitting and it blew my mind. I thought it was so beautifully written. I thought the monster was so complex and interesting. And it was set within a culture that I hadn't seen in a movie since the early nineties. There's a film from Julie Dash called Daughters of the Dust. It's not a horror film. It's uh, set in the Gullah Geechee community, like in the South Carolina and Georgia region. Like they, they you know, there's an island uh, called the Fusky, you know, where they're based. And uh, the the monster of the story, the boo hag, like kind of inhabits people's skins, almost like John Carpenter's The Thing. You know, it's like inside of them. And it's almost like it like it kind of peels off their skins at night and like it's like an energy vampire that sucks the souls out of other oh, wow. people to to get their skin, you know, so it can hide inside of other people. Um and uh I was like, Wow, you're setting a movie in a cultural you know, in a in a culture and a folklore that I'm interested in listening to and observing. And my only real question during the interview process was like, Hey, I would really love to do your movie but how can we ensure that I won't fuck this up? You know, because like, it's, you know, I, it's not my culture. I mean, it's not even, you know, like I, um, it's it, like the characters in the film are like, are black people with generational wealth who buy a plantation house. And like, you know, it's like, but they still have like laborers who work for them. So there's like still a hierarchy within their community of light-skinned and, and dark-skinned people. And within that complex world, there's a monster. Um, and I was like, wow, this is so rich. Like, how can I, how can we make sure I don't screw it up? And they're like, well, not to worry. Um, we wrote this script with people from the community, like, you know, reading it and seeing it and part of it. Like, one of the people is from that world. Um, and they said, we will have the people on the set who will help with the representation of this culture and you will show up and get the performances and like make an incredible monster and create the mood and the atmosphere and all that stuff. So it was kind of a different assignment than Slapface, which Slapface was like draw from the well and the well is me, you know, like all of my family's history, all of my stuff growing up, like all of, all of the, the feelings that I had growing up, you know, like that all goes into the movie. So if I'm drawing from the well, I'm drawing from myself. And on the boo hag, it was the opposite assignment, which is, you're going to be the most active listener. You're going to be the most observational filmmaker. You are going to tell the story with empathy, sympathy, and 
attempt and an attempt at understanding, you know, and, and it was, it wound up being this phenomenal experience, like going down to Savannah, Georgia and being part of this community was like being in another world. Um, and the actors certainly responded to it as well. But I, I give all credit to the producers who wrote the script. Um, they were deeply extraordinary people. Uh, Phoenix Higgins, who was a former Marine, who decided, once he got out of the Marines, like, what do I really want to do with my life? I want to get into film production. He took the GI Bill and, like, went and learned about making films, like, for 10 years, and now he's producing this. And then J. Craig Gordon was a member of the House of Representatives, who I think got a tax incentive down in Georgia. He's the guy from the Gullah Geechee community who... You know, like to hear him tell that he was rode by the boo hag when he was younger, you know, so like he puts a lot of personal investment into the story. And the third guy is a guy named Jason Shore, who's a New York, like union film guy, you know, so the three of them like wrote the script, hired me. I couldn't have been happier because like, you know, a lot of work for hire. It's like, here's the script, here's the budget delivered on time. And in this one, it was very clear that like this was as personal to them as Slapface was to me. And that, you know, that I wanted to honor their intentions and make the scariest monster possible. And, like, the main characters are also my age. You know, it's like a couple that's in their late 30s, early 40s, you know, dealing with grown-up problems, you know. So while I love those movies about kids in a Winnebago who go to a cabin in the woods and are attacked by demons, I absolutely love those films. But this was about, like, characters who were basically entering into the second phase of their life and like, you know, seeing about having children and, and entering a new economic class, you know, and all that stuff was exciting to me. So beyond the cultural stuff, I really embraced the characters and said, you know, like these guys are people that are, you know, that, that I would hang out with that I would know that I would love. And, you know, and I, and the actors knew that. And like, I think that we formed a bond as, strongest one between August and myself on Slapface. I'm really looking forward to sharing the film. I think we're going to be done with it around October, and we're already talking to sales agents and distributors. I mean, we're still we're in post right now, so we're still in the early parts of the process. But it, it, it's our goal to try to get the film out to the people like this fall. Uh, Nathan, our um, southern sorcerer here, uh, he actually worked on uh, the the cemetery tours in Savannah. Yeah, oh, I was, I wonderful! Was a, I was a ghost uh, ghost tour guide in Savannah for six years, and it is. I'm super excited you're making a boo hag movie. That is cool because, like, you know, when I was down there getting all my stories, of course, the you know the Gullah cultures stories really yeah. permeate in that area. Like, ah, oh, that's that's really cool. Whereabouts in town did you guys film? Well, I'm trying to think now. It was it was called the Cooper Estate, which okay. is uh, owned by the actor Chris Cooper's brother. Chris mm-hmm. Cooper was not in our film, but his brother owned the <laughs> estate that we shot at. So uh, um, that's right outside of Savannah. I, I was staying in downtown Savannah, and like it was about a 15 minute drive to get to the Cooper Estate. So not in downtown, but like 15 minutes from downtown. Um, I couldn't tell you. The, I couldn't tell you the name of the town. But then the island that we shot on was the Pusky Island, which is actually South Carolina. That right. we were on for a couple of days, but most of what we shot was like 15 minutes from downtown. I get this estate. That whole area down there where you get like, you know, the humidity and the swamp air and everything, just kind of, it's got a certain feel to it. Like, how does that translate over in a filmmaking sense? How do you capture that aura on film? 
my gosh, you could point the camera in any direction and feel how haunted Savannah is. You know, it's like there is something in those trees, you know, and there's something in the quality of the light that's everywhere. Like, you know, no matter where you look in Savannah, like some tree is being backlit by the sun, which I think creates a kind of mystery. And if I'm not mistaken, it's called either the most haunted city in America or one of the most haunted cities in America. Like I, I didn't get a chance to go on a ghost tour, but, but at least one of the producers did. And uh, the, you know, the superstitions are extremely real to the people who were making the film about, like a lot of them paint their doors blue to ward off the boo hag and like, we'll sprinkle apple seeds around their doors to like keep the hag up at bay, you know? So I, you know, it's in, you know, I, I remember, when I was reading Gabriel Garcia Marquez in college, you know, it's like it was magic realism, but like, you know, to hear Gabriel Garcia Marquez tell it, it's like, it's not magic realism. It's just realism because like our, 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 the, you know, our lives are way more fantastic than we, you know, than we kind of think we perceive them in our everyday reality. Now I'm not saying that like I walk around and I'm looking for ghosts and ghost hunting and stuff like that. But I also think that there is a spirit in Savannah that is felt. There is a history in Savannah that is felt. And there's like a beauty and a mystery and a strangeness to Savannah that, you know, you, that, you know, I don't, I mean, you know, when I go to Atlanta, I think it's a very funky, fun, interesting city. And when I go to Savannah, I feel an oldness in the, in this place, you know, I feel a strangeness in this place and, you know, the way that people think about ghosts in Savannah, I mean, I think it is, like, fun, but I think it is also that the history is so bizarre that, you know, that it infuses itself into the culture. Yeah, that's what I always said a lot of the time. One, you know, of course the question you get on a ghost tour all the time is, are these stories real? I'm like, well, honestly, <laughs> most of this stuff in Savannah, our history is fucked up enough that you don't have to make anything up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's very uh, present all the time. So you just point the camera at, like, the stuff that's going on, and, like, it's right there. Like, everything is right there. Uh, let's broaden our talk pick here, because clearly two movies in a row and a couple of your earlier films all delve into uh, some kind of level of folklore um, or witches. And um, um, my madness theme this year, uh, and I, I keep saying this because everyone's like, you just did it because of the documentary. Um, I already was thinking about doing folklore, uh, but our my Halloween contest this year, we are going to be binging a bunch of folklore and witch movies this year. Amazing. And so I, so obviously when I was like, oh, I want to talk to Jeremiah because he's clearly into this stuff. Um, so what are some of your favorite uh, folklore, uh, like, stories, uh, movies? Uh, is there a, a, a folk tale in particular you would someday love to be able to make a movie out of? Uh, where, where, where do you fall on that? And definitely because we are a film podcast, talk about movies and some of the favorite movies you've seen. Well, for sure. I mean, like um... – well, the the Wicker Man is like the folk horror movie that everybody knows, but the other couple that came out around that same time, I think, are as good. Uh, Witchfinder General with Vincent Price is scary yes. and unflinching. I mean, like the ending of that movie is as stark and brutal 
you know, like the, the Wicker Man has an extremely memorable ending. You know, like uh, Witchfinder General has a very bleak, quiet ending where, you know, you just feel like the wind has been knocked out of your sails by the end of it. And I love um, Vincent Price's performance as the, the, the witch hunter because, uh, I mean, you know, it's interesting we call it the witch hunter because really it's like, why don't we just call it killing women? Um, yeah. But like Vincent Price, uh, like it's a much more subdued, much less campy performance than we're used to from him. And I absolutely love him in Theater of Blood and like, you know, the, the you know, uh, uh, his his big showy House of Wax performances, but in Witchfinder General, he's cold, he's calculating, and he keeps it simple. Like it's it's like a it's a quiet Vincent Price performance, which makes him even more lethal. There's another great British movie called uh, Blood on Satan's Claw, which I hadn't seen until like a year or two ago, and that's kind of a portman. It's almost like a portmanteau story. It's like it's like a couple of different stories. Where, like, you know, in this village, like, they dig up what they essentially think is Satan's claw, you know, this, like, gnarly little hand. But it activates this, like, witchy behavior in a lot of the young people in the community and the older people in the community are, like, getting weirded out by the sense of spirit that is infusing all of the, the younger people, not just the children, but, like, teenagers. And, you know, it gets very sexual and very bizarre, you know, and like all this weird stuff happens in that movie. So if you're if you're in a taste for like the 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 strange, you know, that's a movie to watch. Now it, it does feel very like '60s in some ways. Like it, it might feel a little dated in some ways, more so than you know Witchfinder General or or The Wicker Man, which are a little timeless. But I think like the 19 I don't I think it's like 1968 or 1971. I think that's part of that film's charm. Is it comes from almost like a hippie-era, like, witch movie. Uh, mm. Now, there's been a lot of stuff more recently, you know, like, I'm I'm enormously grateful because, like, Slapface had been written. I mean, you know, I'd been trying to get that movie made for years, and the thing that really enabled that film to happen was stuff like Ari Aster's Hereditary and Robert Eggers' The Witch mm-hmm. and Jennifer Kent's The Babadook, you know, and those are a couple of movies that like I mean the witch is most directly about like here we are, you know this family is toughing it out and like the witch is coming after them or they're just going crazy you know it's like that's one of those that's delicious in that way, uh, but um but all those movies are like kind of kind of smart and allow the audience a little room to imagine like the possibilities of what they could be, but another good one that is more recent that came out after Slapface was St. Maud, which is a film by Rose Glass. So and that's good. one where so it's like, good. oh, I love it so much. Six, it's like, uh, I, I want to meet Rose Glass. Uh, yeah, uh, that was my favorite ending of a movie last year. Like, uh, you know, time. horror films can be often really, really good and not stick the landing. That happens quite a bit in horror films. That movie sticks the landing. <laughs> Oh, it does so much. It, like the final shot is like, whoa, 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 my God. Um, so, yeah, St. Maud is like a recent one where I'd be like, uh, you know, is St. Maud talking to God? Is she possessed or is she nuts? You know, and uh, and either way, like Maud has problems. <laughs> no matter what, you know, no matter what the scenario, she's got a lot to deal with. 
yeah, um, and it's funny because you know you mentioned uh, Satan's Claw and uh, Witch Rider mm. General. Um, Dark Days Bewitched, which was the big uh, box set uh, horror documentary about folklore that came out last this um, at the end of December. Um, yeah. They called those and Wicker Man the big three. And I mentioned sure. last episode that um, I, while Wicker Man, I can quote to you. I mean, it was like it's oh, one of those films sure. that. When uh, the first time I saw it, it immediately infected me. I'm also a huge musical fan, so I was like immediately on board for that. And it's our mascot film, by the way, for our our contest, because uh, it imbibes everything that we're looking for. But I had never seen Bloods on Satan's Claw until the documentary. Like I had never seen it before, and I was like, why have I missed this movie? And I'm still not sure why I've missed that movie. Uh, now I have now rectified that. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I, I was, but um, I, uh, first of all, we're all huge fans of folk horror on so many levels. And like, you know, like Robert Eggers in particular, um, I was going to try to get to see the Northman this weekend, but I'm not going to be able to make it. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm also a huge fan of not just witches, but I'm also a huge fan of Viking lore, uh, which that movie oh, is sure. all of that. And it's also, uh, it's also a uh, folk tale, and you know it's got El Scandard Scargard's uh, CGI schlong. I mean, I'm on board for so many levels, uh, you know. So uh, you know, it, 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 I love this kind of stuff, and I love that you love it too. Um, and Abu Hat, wow, that's just, to me that just kind of blows my mind. So I'm so excited for that. Um, is there anything like I was? Is there any? Folk, like I mentioned, I asked you already, but I was going to ask you again. Um, is there any folk tale that you haven't tackled that you would like to make into a movie, or any themes you've missed? Because uh, you, you, I mean, obviously with a lot of your films, you, you have a, a you're, you, you've covered a wide range of themes. But is there anything you would like to tackle in the future? The yeah, there's a Clive Barker story that I really like uh, that I think is set in Kent. Um, called Rawhead Rex, and uh, oh, yeah, it's a yeah. it's a it's in the books of blood. If if you haven't if the listeners haven't read it, it's well worth listening to. Um, it is folk horror. It's like I think that Clive Barker imagined like what if I took like essentially the premise of like Alien or something like that, but like moved it into a rural, uh, you know, British Isles town. Um, and and he creates a whole mythology around this like fascinating monster that gets like drawn up, and the monster basically lays into this village. But uh, like the stuff that's fascinating in that story is the way that Clive Barker takes on religion and religious figures, uh, and also like the way to the you know the the stuff that Rawhead Rex is afraid of or have to do with womanhood you know, in really fascinating, complex ways. So there's a lot going on in that story. And I, you know, it's, it's a shame because they made a film of it, I think in the late eighties and, and there've been some great adaptations of uh, Clive Barker. Like we talked about Candyman earlier. I also really mm-hmm. enjoy the first Hellraiser movie. Um, and there are a couple other ones that are of interest, you know, Lord of Illusions has like things in it that are worth watching. But uh, Rawhead Rex, I think they, you know, I think they, I think there's some really dodgy special effects in it and some questionable casting. Uh, And it's one of those movies that, like, is certainly due for a revival. 
now, you know, like I'm not British and, you know, like, but about, I will certainly buy a ticket to go over there and like, uh, tell that story. I wouldn't want to relocate that story in, in New England or, you know, some part of America or something like that. I mean, like, you know, Bernard did it beautifully with Cabrini Green and Candyman, which was originally set in Liverpool. But I feel like the strength of that story is in, like, its ties to a very specific British landscape. Uh, well, so that's a folk horror story that I'd love to film, take though. on. Even if it's not great, because uh, I recently actually watched it for the first time last year. Um, mm. And, you know, and, and it, there, it, there is a level of camp to it that most Clive Barker yeah. movies do not have. Like, at one point, I'm like, is there a priest getting a golden shower from a demon? Yes, yes, this yes, is there is. No. yes, there is. <laughs> yes, there is. Um, but, but I, I, I actually, in my own way, enjoyed Rawhead Rex immensely. But I like B movies anyway, so you know, I, I'm, I'm the, I'm the target demographic audience, I guess, for that movie. Uh, but yeah, a more serious, more, uh, you know, uh, adaptation would I I would definitely think could be in the future and that would be in I would be if you made that I would be there with Belvon. Uh so uh absolutely. Um I I'm so excited that you are on our show and um besides wrapping on the film, do you have anything in your near future that's coming up? Well, I mean, you know, Slapface has been opening a lot of doors for me, so there's been a lot of attaching me to scripts and like packaging movies with talent. Uh, nothing we can announce yet, but like, you know, it's one of those things where there's a couple different projects that are like in development or in packaging or talking to investors and, you know, we'll see which one lands next. But I mean, like, but a bunch of them are exciting and it's like great to be talking to people that like, you know, before Slapface, I would have only been dreaming of talking to. So you know, um, we'll see, you know, we'll see where it goes, but I, but I love working with actors that are great actors or actors that I've admired for my, for their entire careers. So if like the next one winds up like being something like that, I'd be really excited. I can only speak in very generally about it though, because those things are, you know, in process, like, the, like we're really concentrating on Boo Hag and Post right now and then setting up whichever one of these will land first. Well, that's fantastic. And Boo Hag will see maybe October. Say that again? I'm sorry. Uh, Boo Hag will see maybe October. We're aiming for October, yeah. Right on. Um, Perfect. Well, that's, that's why when we're doing our contest, and uh, that would be wonderful if you could come back on maybe even for our Halloween episode oh. and, and talk about Boo Hag in more detail if there's a release on that or close to release, that would be amazing. That would be delightful. I would love that. And and thank you for coming on the show today. Um, is there anything else you would like to talk about or plug or anything before we let you go back to your wonderful door opening uh, <laughs> prospects? So. Um, I think we've covered a lot. I just want to thank you guys for the great questions and for the great conversation. It's been really fun. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to come back on to talk about Blue Hag once we're ready. I mean, even if you're bored and want to call in, you can do that. We will take calls from anybody. (laughs) So, uh, you're like, Hey, I got something to say about what you're talking about. So yes, sir. I heard something. One of you guys wanted to say something. 
Or did I just hear a hiccup? Oh, about taking a call from anyone. We're, we're sluts. Oh, are we sluts? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I guess we are. Yeah, uh, so, yeah pretty much. Uh, so are you going to watch um, Joe Bob this weekend like the rest of us? Oh, of course. Or? I love Joe Bob. Yeah, I mean, so uh, we were just, you know, 100th episode. Um, And I also wanted to Mm -hmm. remind people, especially if you're a horror geek like myself or science fiction geek, um, the new app for Mystery Science Theater 3000 launches on the 6th of May. um, And they're launching with a Santos movie. I think it's Santos versus the Vampire Girl, I think it is. Oh, I love it. So, I mean, there's so much to be looking forward to as a geek this year. Um, it's It's been wonderful. And Slapface is the beginning of a fantastic 2022. And I have a feeling at the end of the year, sir, your movie's going to end up on some top 10 horror lists. I think well, so, thank too. You. Absolutely. So it, absolutely. So, congratulations. I always, I always feel so happy when I know someone on Facebook and they do something great. And I'm like, I knew him when he was just a Facebook profile. (laughs) And here you are. And and, um, so thank you. Um, I'm going to have to let you go, sir. I don't want to hang up on you. I mean, you can, oh, we're going to talk about boring shit next. I mean, well, not boring shit, but you know, we're going to just do our our wrap up for the night. Um, So thank you. I mean, you're welcome to stay on, but I guarantee you it's not going to be too exciting. Uh, no, I'm going to jump off, but the pleasure was indeed mine. I really appreciate it, you guys. Thank you. Yes, thank you so thank much, you. and um, it was a pleasure to speak to you, sir. And once again, if you want to see his film, uh, Slap Face, it is playing right now on Shudder uh, with a lot of other wonderful witchy and folklore films that have just dropped as well on the Shudder app. So, so much to watch, so little time. So thank you again, sir, and have a good evening. Thank you, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. So that was wonderful. Awesome interview. Jeremiah Kim. Yeah. Yes, I knew he would be, and I'm so excited that his film's doing so well. Uh, so uh, we let's do some wrap-up before we go for the night. Uh, once again, I want to say, once again, uh, May 6th, Mystery Science Theater 3000, new season, new app, all new shows, um, and there are, what, I forget how many movies. It's like 13 movies and a bunch of shorts. Um, so, and what is the, uh, I had it up and then I lost it because my notes are just not working. Um, 13th season, right? That's right. It's season 13. Finally, season 13. Jonah Hill's coming back um, and it's on the Gizmoplex app. I already have the app uploaded, which is a matter of time. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, Felicia Day and Pat Oswalt, all those people are back. Uh, what, 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 but I can't find what the lineup is for the movies. What happened? What happened? Um, there's a couple of really good films this year. Um, someone else can get to it faster than I can. Uh, <laughs> uh, variety, I hate you. Yeah, no way. Oh, my God. And there's dead air, dead air, dead air, dead air, dead air. See, I told you it was going to get boring as soon as we hung up. Uh, <laughs> really dead air with us. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Um, it's like how, how like, steadily good our guests have been on season in this season eight of our right? show. I've really been amazing, and I'm so, so honored. 
Um, of course, Doctor Strange is dropping next week as well on the 6th. So yes. you're going to be... Um, I'm going to the premiere at the El Capitan. Woohoo! Oh, yeah, it's El Santo and the Vampire Women. I was close. It's El Santo. Um, they're also doing Robot Wars this year. Um, Beyond Atlantis, yeah. Munchie, Dr. Mordred, Demon Squad, and they're re bringing back one, an oldie but goodie, Gamera versus Yeager. Um, the Batwoman, yes. Million Eyes of Sumeru. Um, H.G. Wells' The Shapes of Things to Come, The Mask 3D from 61, not to be confused with the Jim Carrey movie, which just dropped on Twi- on Tubi, um, The Bubble from 66, The Christmas Dragon is their Christmas film, uh, and that's oh, the God. last one. What? Yeah, so, um, and that's a relatively new I film. Just... It's from 2014. I am not familiar with that one, but it sounds like yeah, something I well, need to see. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I absolutely. Okay, the, the synopsis is hysterical. Father Christmas is dying, because of course he is, uh, because something magic sure. and the only ones who can save him and save Christmas, because he always got to save Christmas, itself are a ragtag team of medieval orphans and their newly discovered ah. pet dragon. So sure. that's, yeah, yeah. you know, because, you know. I've been following the uh, the various cast members and writers, and a number of them have said Munchie nearly broke them. It is quite possibly <laughs> the worst thing we've ever done, and that does include Manos, the Hands of Fate. Does it include Santa Claus and the ice cream bunny? Because that's oh the most terrifying God, thing. That was pretty that. bad. Oh, oh I was really oh. Munchie has actually Jesus. seen. Because um, it's actually the sequel to the oh, really? original Munchies, yes. So, yep. um, which was a Gremlins knockoff. Uh, so, um, I didn't, act, you know, there's actually three movies in that um, series. Uh, there's also the Munchies Strike Back. So oh, this yeah. is movie number two, apparently. <laughs> so didn't they, go to, didn't they go to college at one point, or was that Ghoulies? That was Ghoulies, and, okay. that and that's a Jim Wazowski right. film, so, you know, you, you got to give the Jim Wazowski film. I get my my munchies, my ghoulies, my critters, and my gremlins mixed up. I don't. I, I know them all. What about your and trolls? Your trolls? Oh, no, you cannot mistake trolls, the troll movies for anything else. I, you know what upsets <laughs> me about trolls, Nilbog. too? Nilbog is yeah. backwards. Okay, as much as I appreciate Troll 2, I actually adore Charlie Band's Troll movie. I think the, the first one is completely underrated. Um, it's got a fantastic cast. Wow. It's, got, it's got great puppetry. It's got stop animation. Um, you know, you've got uh, Harry Potter Jr. in it. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it is... Yeah. It is so fucking good. So I, I am a complete defender of the first Troll movie. So there. <laughs> That's so brave oh, of you. I take it back. I got the wrong Santos movie. This is the sequel to Santos and the Vampire Women. This is Santos oh. in The Treasure of Dracula is the first one. Right. So either way, it's El yeah, I haven't seen that one. I've seen Vampire Women. Oh yeah, well, who hasn't? But um, you know, I haven't it, seen Treasure yeah. of Dracula. That's exciting. I don't think I so, have either. More Santos. Yeah, Woo. no. So uh, you know, 
there's a lot to watch. The sixth is going to be a very busy day for me because that also happens to be the day that my uh, evil genius premieres Annie on on, uh, on at the Sweet. theater. So um, and the, the son of celluloid himself is coming out to see it with me. So he's flying yep, up. I will so, be there. Yeah, so that's awesome. Uh, and we're going to be really busy next week because we are also, when he lands on the 4th, we are going to go to Edgar Allan Poe's grave. And then we are going to go see. Shit. Yeah. And then we're going to AEW Dynamite and Rampage, which has a, uh, has a film a filming in Baltimore and they're at the they're at the Chesapeake Arena which is where Ring of Honor normally is filmed. So it's uh so it'll be interesting. They've announced three um three four matches or so now for Dynamite uh which were decent. There hasn't been a real standout yet, but um you know. Diana so and Mercedes Martinez is going to be a great match. Yeah, for women's matches it'll be fantastic, but you know they haven't they haven't done and and MJF has got a a secret uh, person wrestling Wardlow, so we don't know what it is yet. I want to be murder grandpa. My vote goes for murder grandpa. (laughs) I do not want to see Wardlow choke slam murder grandpa. Because he can't. Murder grandpa will murder him. That's all there is to it. The one person that can take out Wardlow, the sixty-three-year-old badass named Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, and well, interesting enough, the following week, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling is actually going to have an American show in Baltimore. So we're kind of hoping that a bunch of the Japanese guys pop up because there's now um, there's a, a, a deal with them. They're doing a crossover show in uh, June. It is the end of June in Chicago where both, where, where both companies are going to wrestle together, which is like a big deal. Uh, so uh, wow. that's the only wrestling we're going to talk nope. about only today because, you know, we're going to be there at that, the show. Well, hold on. Hold on. I do have one other show I want to talk about. Oh, you And that do. is the show coming up this Saturday oh, at the well, Chatterbox in Knoxville. Having a total psychopathic wrestling has putting on a show <laughs> wonderfully entitled Fuck Being Normal. And there's, there's <laughs> like the main event of this show in a barefoot death match for the TPW uh, Deathmatch Championship, Saradox is going to defend against Neil Diamond Cutter. Oh my God. We've got, a, awesome. we've got a gussets and sharp objects match between Raven Havoc and Remington Roar. Like, really? We have some in- oh yeah, good booking, and, dude. And it has just been announced, actually, about 15 minutes ago via their uh, their Facebook page. This Saturday, we'll also see the return to psychopathic wrestling of the uncivil Satu Jin. Oh, Satu's so, gonna be there. Nice. This is gonna be this is gonna be one hell of a show. So I highly I was recommend. Say, yeah, you guys no, come that check sounds it out. like a lot of fun. I, the Chatterbox is this tavern and this weird little crossroads right outside Knoxville. It's actually kind of a neat location, um, and it, it it feels like an outlaw mud show. And I mean that in all the most positive ways possible, Nathan, because I know that people oh, sometimes yeah. think. Some people call that a slander, but honestly, it's not. Only if you're, <laughs> only if you're Jim Cornette. Those of us who oh. understand where that where that uh, moniker is a badge of pride. Well, you know, fuck Jim Cornette. But anyway, uh, he, he doesn't understand deathmatch wrestling. Uh, but yeah, Saturday, Chatterbox in Knoxville. We got an amazing TPW show coming up. I hope to see right. at least some of you there. So, um, Raven, real quick. 
plug your stuff and give us a recap of the Universal, um, uh, your visit to Universal Studios. Um, yeah, I've been kind of on Twitter and TikTok lately. I'm on TikTok as Frida Krueger, <laughs> and um, I'm still rating everything I watch on Twitter at Raven Looney. Uh, Universal Studios. I got the opportunity to go. It's the first time I've ever been. Um, oh wow! And I did the studio tour, which was delightful. It's changed so much over the years from all the things I ever heard that was there. From you know the parting of the Red Seas, that doesn't happen anymore, and that's about the last I had heard of their updates. You know, like <laughs> I really didn't know what I was even going to walk into. Um, there's two parts of the studio tour where you are, actually three, where you're inside a building, and um, one of them is still the 1977 earthquake set. So you get to experience an earthquake. Oh, yeah. um, they called it an 8.2, but that's incorrect because it's not magnitude. You can't Magnitude is going to be if there's an 8.2 earthquake and you're outside of that room, you're still going to feel the 8.2. And that's not the case. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what they really want are, are they're trying to tell you the intensity, but they can't. So they just make it all touristy. Uh, so that's okay. <laughs> if, you, if, you really, if you're a science earthquake nerd, you, you might be going, what? For a second. So um, happy to say the – Amityville still looks lovely. Um, they had updated the square, the clock tower for Back to the Future. They're kind of disguising it because they reuse it for so many things. But uh, so there's a gazebo out in front of it right now, and we saw the uh, whole bunch of sets for the Good Place. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Elizabeth Banks was there shooting a feature, but I'm not sure what it was because we weren't allowed to know um but she was mm -hmm. by elm not not the fun elm street but there was a originally in um mm -hmm. california there was a street of houses that all got moved and onto the back lot and they were used in films like to kill a mockingbird and stuff like that the tram doesn't go down there but you can kind of see if you're you know if you google all the secret things to look at before you go like i did and uh, <laughs> the other amazing thing is when we got to Norman Bates Motel, Norman Bates was in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> he came running to cabin one, looking at the open trunk he had, ran back inside, <laughs> a body wrapped in plastic, put it in the trunk, and then noticed there's a tour tram right there. So we got caught looking at Norman, and he pulls a knife out and starts slowly walking towards the tram. So we booked out of there, but I guess I guess that's the new feature of Norman Bates hanging out there, I did, or I, just something I didn't know about. It, the guy we had, I went on it twice. The guy we had the first day was so nice. good that I, like, tweeted Universal and I went to their guest relations to be like please give this Norman Bates a raise because he was so 
he was so genuine. He was so Anthony Perkins. It was creepy in the best way. Um, also did the Jurassic Park ride, which is like fun, but it's like if Splash Mountain took 20 seconds. <laughs> so much time in line. Like definitely do the yeah. single rider or pay for the upgrade because that line, I was in line for an hour and 30 minutes. And the ride was way less than a minute. <laughs> the mummy is like crazy. that too. The mummy was really fast. I, actually, when I went to the mummy, it yeah. said estimated time in line ninety minutes, and it took seven minutes. So their times are oh, way wow. off. I also went <laughs> on like in the Minion Land. There's like a spinny round ride that's kind of like Dumbo from Disneyland. That ride? Yeah. It said 20 minutes, and it took an hour and 40. It took longer to go on the spinny Ooh. ride than on Jurassic World. Um, so they don't, I, I guess they don't really have their timings quite right yet since the mask mandate, I think, um, was listed. Did you eat at three broomsticks? I did. <laughs> I did. I Excellent. had a ginormous turkey leg, and I had a butterbeer. Um, butter Those are delicious, and- aren't they? Yeah, and it was just hot enough to where I feel like I drank the whole thing in about one sip, but it was so refreshing. <laughs> it's like cream soda with crack in it. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, like, I went out to lunch, like, the next day outside of Universal, and my, my lunch just getting sandwiches at a pub was more expensive going to Three Broomsticks. It, oh, really? it really is the best yeah. value for their food, and it's real food, and it's made um, – basically made to order but they you know they do yeah. stuff like chef pie and stuff like that so they'll put in 20 at a time and then when they're gone they'll put the next batch in and like but, you say yeah. it's such a better deal than anything disney's got going oh yeah that i would i would if i had a annual pass i honestly would go into the park just to eat there the <laughs> only the true. only uh thing well <laughs> I shouldn't say that because the Blue Bayou is special um, in Disneyland because yeah. of its yeah, location. It's ridiculous price wise. Yeah, it's ridiculous yeah. price, and getting in and getting a reservation is uh, like you know have to basically murder someone to do it. The only reason I was able to eat there was because the ride was down. <laughs> so that's how I got oh, it. Well, I mean, yeah. So you could be in there, but nothing's going on. <laughs> and, and also, the the tavern in the new uh, uh, Star Wars section is pretty good. Once again, you gotta get a reservation. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky; yeah. I was able to get one on the same day. I couldn't believe it. Uh, but it's the drinks are mad expensive, and uh, the food yeah. is marginal. The the drinks are good, but the food is eh. yeah. uh, so. Yeah, so just, you know, and, and even if you don't want to eat in the park, there's so much in the City Walk itself you can find. Oh, yeah. And, they, and oh, yeah. they have a voodoo donut, which should make you North uh, Pacific Northwestern people feel right at home. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, I, I also did, got my amusement park on in the last couple of weeks. I went to Hershey Park for the second time uh, two weeks ago. Oh, um, and um, well, it was a bit crowded, and of course, it was their first, it was spring break weekend on Good Friday, so they of course didn't have enough people, so every ride was half staffed, and so it slowed queue times down. Uh, so I spent a lot of time standing in line, uh, but it was still a good time. I took Evil Genius and her best friend, 
and um, and then we went to the Chocolate World and spent a hundred dollars in candy, over a hundred dollars on candy. <laughs> but uh, but, but uh, I was I was told I was an amateur, um, do, only buying a hundred dollars. But the best part of, the, of of Hershey Park, you see the the candy store, Hershey uh, the Chocolate World store is free. If you go in there, there's a dark ride. And it's a it's a fake factory tour where they take you through a tour because you're not allowed to go to the factory itself. Um, so they take you on a fake factory tour, and the first thing you see is dancing cows singing, like there's that you know happens in Disney, I mean in, in Hershey um, in the factory, and and then there's this really crazy quality control chick on a screen on your little ride and she's like hi this is how we do this and this is how we do that and then there's all these like talking animatronic chocolate bars and kisses that they are terrifying people just said they're terrifying they are they want to they they they, um talk to you and want you to eat them uh because you know they were they were sending me videos and it's disturbing Oh it's, but but it's you know even if you don't go to the pay part of the park, go to Chocolate World. Chocolate World is a huge candy store and it has this really bizarre dark ride and it's worth doing. Every time I've done that dark ride, which right. is like three times, I'm just like, yeah, this is awesome. The first time I did it, at the end, you know, they always take your photo. They still do that, but the first time this guy, oh, this narrator voice goes, we want you to be part of the Hershey family, and I went. No! <laughs> and there's this picture of all of us going, because ah! <laughs> nobody wants to go to that family. No, no. So, you know. <laughs> so And then, they, of course, they give you a free chocolate bar at the end of the ride. You know, a little one, but no. They sometimes give you a, uh, but they, they didn't do it this time. This time they just gave us straight up chocolate bars. But sometimes if you go there uh, where it's not too busy, they'll give you a, something that they're experimenting with and ask you to try it. So that's cool. They did not have my mint Hershey kisses because they will have things that are off season at the, at this store. They can only get at the store, but they did have off season, the limited edition cookies and cream mint chocolate bars. So I have a bunch of those. (laughs) I got a, yeah. So, so it, it it was fun. Uh, I rode the craziest roller coaster I've ridden in years. It was absolutely ridiculous. I'm not even going to get into it, except for the Rise Hill was at 60 miles an hour. Uh, it absolutely oh it was it was just adrenaline all the way through. It was ridiculous and and not smooth either. It was really bumpy and scary. It was fun. Uh, but if you don't like that kind of stuff, they have a vintage uh, roller coaster called the Comet goes back to the 30s it's really beautiful woody and they also have a zoo they have a zoo the zoo was there before the park was and so you can walk through the zoo and go see the animals if you want to do something calm so uh, hershey park is a very cute park it's not my favorite park in pennsylvania that would absolutely go to knobles which is about an hour north of there and it would be my third kennywood is also that's the one in pittsburgh shout out to they're still listening uh and uh Kennywood is is a gem of an amusement park, and you you know it's right next to the Monroeville Mall, so you can go make a whole zombie day of it with 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 Kennywood and Monroeville right there. So uh, you know, uh, so Pennsylvania though, I've always been amazed. Like 
the quality of the traditional amusement parks they have there. Uh, you know, for Hershey's my third favorite. It tells you how good the parks really are there. So, and, and, you know, Disney's cool and Universal is great. Actually, there's some amazing things about the Universal parks. Uh, but I really love these old school parks and I'm going to miss them quite a bit. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. shout out to the Northeast for its quality vintage music parks. Uh, because this is, folks, my last broadcast from Maryland, Cal- uh, Maryland, United States of America, the D.C. metro area. I am now, as of the 7th, I will be relocating to Atlanta, Georgia to start a whole new mm-hmm. life. Same old podcast. Wow. So, um, very exciting. It's a little scary, a little very exciting, but you know, once again, it's called Little Los Angeles for a reason. So, you know, there's a lot to do there. There's a lot of movie filmmaking and TV filmmaking there. Um, the only thing I'm not looking forward to is humidity and traffic. <laughs> so, uh, oh, the you it's awful, but it's it's not that great up here in Maryland, to be fair. Like, an 80-degree huh. day up here can be absolutely miserable up here. The one thing I will miss is the snow, and I'll miss the uh, fall color quite a bit. But I grew up in California, like you did, Aaron. We don't get yeah. fall color there, so, you know, nope. I'll get a little still. <laughs> um, so I'm not too worried. But, um, fall yep. is when fire season starts. <laughs> but... Um, but the podcast is going to be the consistent. It'll still be there. So we'll meet back again. Um, the next show for sure, um, we should verify this, but I wanted to have a show on the 25th of May, possibly, Aaron. You can talk to him. We can do okay. Olympia there. But the 18th is also oh, on Oh, right board. on. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Yeah, either one yeah, of those are I fine for Olympia. We'll try to nail it down. I would prefer the 25th because, um, and also, this is also, Aaron, you have homework to do. Um, Our boy from the Dog Soldiers, I wanted him to come on on the 11th uh, to do the 10th year anniversary of Dog Soldiers and continue our folklore um, conversations. The 11th of May or the 11th of June? The 11th of May. Oh, okay. I will get in contact with him for that's, the eleventh. Because um, the tenth of um, the tenth of May is the ten year anniversary of Dog Soldiers. So I thought that'd be a good time to bring him on. On so May twenty second, I'm going to World Golf Day at Disneyland, so I can report to you Excellent. on that. Oh, you're nice. going on the bat days. Excellent. That's always a fun time. Everyone dresses up in their Sunday gothic best and walk around the park. I've I've never done that event. I've always wanted to. Oh, uh, it's I, on my bucket list. Are they going to have the, uh, the the vendors floor on across the street at the convention this year, or are they not doing that? I'm not no, sure. I haven't the- looked into it. Release the bats is broken up. I'm afraid they're no longer doing their thing, and well, so far yeah, there's do. nothing to take their place that way. Well, yeah, they do. Because... Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying. Uh, since World Goth Day is just May 22nd anyway, um, there, you know, the the goth peeps are still there. You'll still see videos of it on on TikTok and. Facebook and stuff. It's just 
a lot of the official stuff that had started growing as kind of its own sub event is just simply fairy dust now. Well, it's probably I was saying it's probably a good thing because you don't need to spend more money going to Disney. Oh, that's so. true. Right. <laughs> Although it was pretty damn fun, and the vendors were out of this world. It was, it was yeah. its own little thing offsite with uh, you know a, a dance goth prom, and oh my god, it was. It was a blast. Amazing. I don't know, other than um, starting a new life, if I'm doing any major events, there is FrankenCon happening in Georgia. I'm going to see if I can get a, a press pass for that. I haven't contacted them yet. Oh, yeah, it's Tennessee. in Tennessee. You're right. You're right. It's in yeah. Tennessee, but it's not too, too far. Um, and they have a really solid lineup. Joe Bob's going to be there. A bunch of other people I would like to meet is going to be there. Um, and I think we're going to do something at the plaza are we not nathan together but i forget what other than have a long island iced tea i what was it you said there was something happening i don't remember oh oh and i am doing something this saturday um at 10 o'clock because i want to go to the silver theater which is one of the places you know our the afi runs a beautiful movie palace here and i wanted to go one more time before i leave the area they are doing a shadow cast version of army of darkness at 10 o'clock this saturday so i am oh, going to go do that nice. Nice. yeah so i'm, I'm taking the evil of genius and i are both going to go to that very cool yeah and then it's Tech Week starting a, at, on Sunday at noon, and both of I'm volunteering for costumes and props, and well, the Evil Genius is Roosevelt, so I'm going to be very busy for the next week. Does Evil Genius know that Tech Week is also called Hell Week? Uh, yeah, it is. I, let me let me ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're asking if you know that Tech Week is is often called Hell Week, also. <laughs> Did you hear that answer? No, I can see why. Yes. Okay. So, oh, you so, don't, yeah. you know nothing yet. Oh yeah. So, and that dress is performance. That's the law. Yeah. So it. it uh, was, I have a bunch of things coming up. If if uh, I could have a minute. Yeah. I'll tell ahead. you some things. Um, Take it. The Triggermint, uh, the people that have the uh, the Michael Myers house that was used for Halloween in in South Pasadena. Yeah. They have an event coming up called uh, Spooky Kids Club, and that opens on May seventh. And it's going to be everything that you love: uh, Halloween, uh, the animated Beetlejuice. Uh, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Just ephemera and toys, and da da da. And there'll be movies. And uh, one of the nights, um, the gentleman who does the voice of Goofy, Bill Farmer, is going to be there, and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Um, May fifth, we get two brand new Star Trek series. Oh, well, we get another season of Lower Decks, the new season, which um, might actually be my favorite Star Trek right now, for a number yeah. of different reasons. And then we also get Strange New Worlds, which is going to be a little different than the new stuff we've been getting. It's going to be episodic, with single adventure episodes. And uh, it's already been greenlit for a second season. Uh, what else? We've got uh, Disneyland After Dark Star Wars Nights coming up May 3rd, 4th, and 27th. I'm not sure if they're sold out yet. I'm going to May the 4th be with you, of course. 
Uh, we have Star Wars Celebration coming up in Anaheim. That'll run Thursday, May 26th through Sunday, May 29th. Yes, of course, I'm going to that silliness too. And then I was um, going to go. You got yeah. oh, well. um, Actually, that's sold out now that I remember, damn it. But um, mm-hmm. Beverly, the new Beverly Cinema, which everyone knows is Quentin Tarantino's movie house, uh, has got a brand new totally refurbished print of one of my absolutely favorite gonzo kung fu movies master of the flying guillotine yes oh and, uh, my god good yes, choice. i will fucking be there for opening night because i just love that film to death well that's, that's fantastic awesome. there's it is the beginning of the summer and uh, a lot of great things are coming out so and and things to do uh and and also and I haven't completely locked it down, but if you're still listening and I will post on the Facebook page, it looks like we are going to be live streaming on Facebook in a group, the Shutter Chainsaw Awards. So please join us for that. That's on the 15th at 7 p.m. You can watch it on Shutter, but we actually might have a feed directly into the Facebook long as they don't uh, – play any uh, licensed music, which last year they didn't. They had original music, but no licensed music. So maybe we'll be lucky. Uh, Bria Grant was announced as one of the uh, pre- presenters. So that means that the stylist, maybe, fingers crossed, might be actually yeah. have a chance to win because they often call people in. And, of course, Bria Grant had a fantastic year last year with four hit films. Uh, so join us again soon. I can't give an honest date, but I'm targeting the 10th. And for sure, we will try to get um, the Lumpia guys on either on the 18th or the 20, what did I say, the 26th, I said? 25th. 25th. No, 25. 25. 25. So we're going to you know, look for those. For Lumpia and the 11th for uh, Dog Soldiers. Yes, but we haven't locked either one of those yes. down yet. So fingers crossed. Folks. No, but we're going uh, yeah, and um, and uh, thank you all for listening. And tonight we're gonna leave because you know the the whole. I'm glad we're talking about a slap that actually is more interesting than the one that Will Smith gave uh, did. But either way, so we're gonna leave tonight with one of my favorite '90s uh, videos. The song's okay, but we're gonna play a song on it. The video is amazing, and that would be Prodigies, of course. Smack my bitch up. So we are yeah. the Sexy yeah. Witches. Find us on Facebook at the Sexy Witches. Find my profile, Elizabeth Catherine Gray, and you can go on that. And we have two, three Facebook groups: the FC Film Geek Circle, which is general film, the Rogues of Tossie Station, which is a small but significant science to science fiction group, and of course, the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness. Which is our annual uh, our annual film watching contest, but you can talk about films in there year round. And of course, we go are team now. Zhang-Chi. Yep, we are go team Zhangshi. We are now officially in theme mode. We are talking folk horror. So thank you all. Blessed be. Good film hunting and good night, everyone. See you in a couple weeks. All right.
Bishop.